Welcome everybody to Catfish Weekly, presented by Whiskerware Apparel. Tonight we are lucky enough to have uh, David Shipman and Brooke Wilkins on the show with us tonight. How you guys doing? All right, Chuck. What's going on this week? Um, well, we got a tournament coming up. Uh, Daniel's putting on a uh, a tournament. It's a makeup tournament. They closed the state park down on the Alabama River where he was supposed to have had the year-end tournament. Um, it was one of the uh, shutdowns that Alabama's doing to try to save money. Uh, so he moved it to uh, Scottsboro City Park. Uh, it's going to be this Saturday, November 7th, from 7 to 4. Uh, registration begins at 6 a.m. Um, you know, then everybody's eager for the uh, Winter's Blues coming up. Uh, and it's $5,000 first place, which that's really great to be the second year. Heck yeah, that's a pretty good, pretty good amount of prize money. Right, and the Hill Jacks called to let me know to announce that they decided to have their classic as an open. Um, they seen that you know not enough boats were going to be able to come up, and they want to make this thing big, and they're having it at Wheeler Lake. Um, they decided to launch out of Mallard Creek Landing. It's going to be Saturday, November 21st. Uh, launch is at 6.30, weigh-ins at 3.30. They're going to start registration about 5.30. Um, it's going to be $50 a boat, and they have a $5 Calcutta um, you know, at every event. And uh, the, there's no limit on the anglers. You know, Just be safe you know, and, and don't overload your boat. But um, there's some really good uh, catfish anglers from down there. And uh, they're, they're really good to get together with and uh, do these events. I fished one with them last year, and uh, everything went great. So um, try to get up and fish this uh, Hilljack tournament with them and uh, get to know some new guys. Sounds like a heck of a deal. Looks like a lot of fun. You guys will be getting into them fish and knocking them out. Sounds like a plan. Uh, you know, David, we've, we've been very happy that you and Brooke have spent your time to be on the show with us tonight, and congratulations on your win in Memphis. That's a that's a big deal, and uh, from the looks of the stuff behind you, it looks like you guys have been doing quite a bit of that here recently. Uh, you know, it's, uh, that's outstanding that you would take that young lady and, and uh, you guys fished together and, and just been tearing it up this year. We've had a, we've had a good year. That's That's great. Brooks been that. She's a. She was 17, 16, 16. 17 when she wanted to go catch a big fish. So, <laughs> and I was catching them at Wheeler, you know, just about every trip. And we went, and it was 98 degrees. It was so hot, and we got three bites all day long. And you know, she never complained. She never said a word. She just kept fishing. I thought, man. For a young girl, that's really, I know she's got to be miserable, but she hung in there. And, uh, we tried it two or three times, and she finally got her a 32 or 36-pounder. Oh, I but, thought that was big, too, <laughs> It is big. You know, my, I got a nephew that if he don't get a bite within 15 minutes, he's ready to go to the truck. So I was kind of expecting, <laughs> you know, that, that first time she started going with me that, Boy, I'm going to burn her out quick, but let me tell you something. You ain't going to burn her out. 
She well, could lay there all night waiting for a big bite, you know. You know, a cat fisherman is a cat fisherman, man or woman. It doesn't make any difference. And when you're hooked in on it and you love it like most of us do, um, you sit there all day and never complain and just keep going. Yeah. That's what it is. Well, Chuck, why don't you uh, take off and uh, visit with these guys a little bit, and we'll, I'll try to watch the chat and see what we got going. All right. All right. Glad to have you, David and Natalie. Um, what did y'all think about Monsters of the Ohio this year? Was uh, was everything as expected? I liked it. Um, we fished the, our first Monsters on the Ohio last year. We were new to the water. We didn't do too good. But uh, we did all right this year. We plan to do better next year. Awesome. So uh, it looks like you're going to be back in the boat with him next year, huh? Oh, yeah. Awesome. All right, uh, we can record this. <laughs> uh, Y'all got a really good streak going this year, um, you know, to to bring home the uh, the world championship of catfishing. Um, you know, earlier in the year, I believe it was in July, and then to uh, win the big Cat Quest Classic last weekend in Memphis with 242 pounds. Uh, two-day event that that's just an outstanding run y'all own um, I want to get a little bit nosy and personal and I know everybody wants to hear it um, have you have you have you found something that's uh, really helping you and excel you over the other anglers or um, you just doing everything that the other guys are doing you're just finding better spots well of course, we, we, we try to look, we, we try to cover a lot of water in pre-fishing, but this year, even on the Monsters, which we finished like 40th up there, but we we found lots of areas that look good with structure and fish and drop-offs, but we fished on the Monsters and, uh, and the WCC and the Big Cat Quest at Memphis, we chose to fish the areas that we saw the most quantity of fish, not necessarily the biggest ones. And I, I, I guess it sort of paid off. But we had lots of areas that had fish. And uh, to be honest with you, that spot we fished at Memphis, uh, it was a bunch of small fish in there during pre-fishing, but it was a bunch of them. And, and I, I've gotten pretty good over the years. This took me several years. I can just about tell you if they're 10 or 15 pounders or or 20 or 30 pounders, something like that, and they all looked like they were about 15 to 20 pounds. And uh, we're just going to go up there and get us five of them and then maybe go look for a big fish. But that first day, the first fish I caught weighed 46, so they had some good ones moved in there with them. So uh, that was that was our deal. We just we just fished an area in all three of those tournaments that, that we were seeing a lot of fish, you know, not necessarily the biggest ones, but a lot of fish. Okay, so if you were seeing, uh, you know, three, five, seven pounders in there, uh, you probably wouldn't have wanted to stay on it, but you knew since there was 20s and 30s in there that, uh, you know, that there's a good chance there was some big ones in there because they're not worried about the big ones eating them with them being so big, so... Uh, so that that's paid off for y'all finding holes that uh, have large quantities of fish that are, uh, you know, you know, almost trophy size, and then 
when it comes down to it, y'all are getting some bigger fish out of those holes with them. Exactly. That's what. Now, at the at the monsters on Ohio, it didn't work at all. We 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 knew we were on ten to fifteen pound fish, and I think a a seventeen or eighteen pounder was the biggest one we had. But it didn't work for us up there. But it it's worked for us the other two or three times. We we had also fished that area. I don't remember what month it was, but Cabela's had one up at Covington, Tennessee. We fished that same area, and we finished second in that tournament. So, you know, we knew we could catch five fish there. And and when we go to a tournament, we really we want to get five fish in the boat if they're five six pounders, and then we'll work from that. You know, we really we really like having our limit of fish, regardless of what size they are to start with. Right. Um, you know, I, I seen you this year at Gunnersville, um, and Cabela's is, you know, they were saying that they want to try to get it consistently on the schedule every year and, uh, maybe have it as a fill in for Sheffield since they're not going to be going back there. What did you think about Gunnersville and, uh, how many times have you fished it? And do you think it's going to be a place that, um, with a really good bite, is going to stand out and draw a lot of cat fishermen? I do. I've fished Gunnersville several times, and no, it didn't look like at this tournament we're talking about. But it's a great—they got a great fishery there. There's some big cats in there. I, the first time I went to Gunnersville, I didn't know anything, and I—I I, looking at water and looking at different places, and I found a spot, saw a couple of fish. Of course, I suspend fish up there most of the time because there's not a lot of current, and uh, I caught three fish between 50 and 60 pounds first trip I went there. Haven't done it since then, but, but they're there. I, I thought, and you know, there was a guy telling me he saw those big catfish eating that millfoil up at the surface. So a fellow might have to adjust his style of fishing up there, but the fish are there. Correct. I've seen this, um, I can't remember the name of it. It's that new electronic device that mimics the uh, uh, shad having uh, feeding frenzies and stuff. Um, I had a bass fisherman tell me that they were up there using it around the millful, and a big blue cat uh, come out of the millful and was on the surface of the water trying to find those shad uh, when they had that device on, uh, you know, mimicking shad. Um, you know, and he said, "Yeah, y'all, what are y'all doing out there on that channel?" He says, "We we had a monster come out of this uh, millful up here." He said, "They're probably all up under this stuff." So yeah. you're right. They're, uh, you know, with gunners will having all that grass as the bass calls it. That's a lot of shade and a lot of that. That can be structure for them. You know, they can get up in there and shoot out of the edge of it and ambush bait and everything else and. Uh, I mean, they've just got so many places to hide on Gunnersville. It's, it can be really rough sometimes, but when they're when they're grouped up and uh, you know out running around, it's a uh, it can be a fun day. Yeah, I, we're not we're not real familiar with shallow water fishing. I know a lot of people that that tell me they catch these blues in ten feet and five feet, and I know they do, but we're just not familiar enough with it. I believe it will be a place to, that a man can figure out, you know, how to catch them fish in that shallow water. I know they're in it. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. You know, you 
you know, I, I may have fished that deep on accident, but, um, you know, usually if it's not, you know, 25 foot, you know, I'm not going to be fishing it. So, um, you know, most of the time I'm around 45 and 50 and I can't, you know, and I, I know better a lot of times don't catch anything, but, you know, I see them down there and they're not the ones that's wanting to feed, I don't guess. But, uh, yeah, Greg Aaron said it was the hydro wave I'm talking about. Yeah, this. Uh, yeah, hydro wave, yeah. Yes, and there, you know, from what I heard, um, you know, from Co, he told us that they're going to be coming out with a uh, catfish version of this hydro wave that's supposed to have different sounds of, um, you know, that catfish are supposed to like. I guess the, the way Shad's acting in different ways or whatever, but they said that's being developed right now. So I guess catfish is shining through the um, the fish market pretty good, and these guys are wanting a piece of it. So maybe we'll have a lot more people jumping on with, uh, you know, different things and, you know, growing it like the bass is. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, everybody that's, you know, the 34-inch limit and all that, you know, people are, you know, I, I watched y'all show with Bill and George, and, they're right, those big catfish, I've never ate one, but I, I just know there's not a market for them, but for sport fishing, you know, and I think the bigger fish that come into these tournaments and the public gets to, you know, see that and enjoy those big monster cats, I believe that, I believe that helps the sport. You know, I remember, when, well, Larry Muse took me, he, was, he kept coming in with these big 50 pounders. Of course, I've catfished and I said, man, I want you to take me up there and catch one of them big ones. You know, I believe anybody that likes fishing, you know, kids especially, would really like that. They like seeing those big catfish. They look almost, to me, when they get 50 pounds or more, they almost look like prehistoric stuff. I mean, they just, I stand there and stare at them. You know, they just don't look real. They're so big. But Brooke, she, she don't. She don't think it looked nothing like a big old teddy bear or something. <laughs> well, I mean, you you probably got her so spoilt now that, you know, when y'all are out fishing and she pulls in a 50, she goes, it's just another little one. <laughs> <laughs> now, she got a hold of one up at Wilson, I guess it's two or three years ago. Man, I don't know how big he was, but she never, we had, we had that 100-pound braid, and uh, I thought her drag got loose. You know, it was just peeling that drag off. She never could even get the rod out of the holder. I said, you got your drag too loose. Tighten it up. <laughs> well, he broke. He just snapped it, and he never did know he was hooked. And I grabbed <laughs> that drag and tried to pull it out of that reel, and I couldn't even pull it out. That's how tight it was. I don't know how big he was, but she has had a hold of some monsters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's great seeing her in the boat and, uh, you know, at weigh-ins and everything, the, you know, the way she shines and sparkles when she's up. And you could tell that she she's real passionate about it, and you know reaching up and you know reaching down the live well and ripping those big catfish up and you know just holding them up like the guys. I mean you can't get no better than that. I mean it's no. outstanding watching y'all, and um, you know when you know when she's up there you know getting them out and you're just standing back watching her, you know she handles them perfect. She knows exactly what she's doing in that boat. Yeah. She ain't nothing for her to throw one over her shoulder to bring, bring him out of there. <laughs> Get that uh that, that back head tail slap. Yeah. 
several times. Oh yeah, that's that's when it gets fun when when they start flopping around real bad after you have them in the you know some real lively water. It's it's hard to keep a hold of them things. They're so slick and big. Mm -hmm. um, you know you, you you don't want to hurt them, but you know sometimes you got to put the bear hug on them and they still want to squirt out of your arms. I mean it's it's great. Um, Tell us a little bit about the uh, the world championship of catfishing that um, that y'all won this year. Has that been something that you've always liked participating in? I think you won it back in 2010. Am I correct on that one? No, we ne we have never won that. Uh, and what you you never won that one? No, WCC. Uh, we fished okay. it every year for years. Okay, we, we which got, one did you and Cooksey win in 2010? Okay, that was the Cabela's National Championship. Oh, it was? Okay. Yeah. But the uh, the WCC at Pickwick is it's hard to win that. There's so many good fishermen. And uh, we got Pep Dodd, Larry, and Phil, and Tim. And uh, just, you know, the... The high dogs come up to that every year, and it's really hard to win that. And uh, I think we got—I don't even think we got second. I believe we got third two or three years ago. And uh, but this year it, it was meant to be our year. We again we went down there where we'd seen a lot of fish every day. We went, and uh, I told Brooke, I said we'll just take what it gives us. We know the fish are here. Of course, the first fish. Weighed 45 pounds, and then uh, just 30 minutes later, we caught another 42. And I knew then that we were going to be in contention because, you know, for Pickwick, uh, a couple of 40s is, and some keepers is going to put you there. And we wound up culling that 42 with another that was right at 45. I told Brooke, I said, we're going to be in the top three. I know it. And uh, But we, we, we won that by like 40 pounds. Yeah, about 45 pounds. It was a real tough day on the on the water, and uh, Jeff, I don't think Jeff even caught a fish that day. Jeff died, and that's just, you know, he's really the one to beat, one of the ones to beat all the time. So, yeah, is that is that when he said him and the hoodie fish with Swampy? Who'd I can't fish? remember. I, don't know. I can't remember who he fished with. That's Chuck. The Massingill boys were there too. They're hard to beat. Yeah, they are. They're yeah, they're hard to beat anywhere. They can they can catch catfish in a mud hole. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. They, that's outstanding. How what them guys can do. Um, the uh, was that that's a one day tournament. It's a one day, yeah. Uh, you know, because there's there's all kind of things that go on for what a week uh, around this event. Don't they have a big catfish yeah, week there? They got a derby that I think it's four weeks or maybe six weeks. That ever who catches the biggest catfish during that week wins a prize. But yeah, it's a it's a pretty big deal. They they say that thing's been going on since nineteen twenty one. Wow. And and then and then Freeman finally decided, you know, let's have a tournament around this thing and he introduced that to him a while back. Is that how I that think happened? So. I think so. Great. I mean that's that's good. That's a that's a real good body of water and uh, you know, the history of that city and all, you know, why not have a, an event like that and uh you know, let the best anglers come in and uh, compete against it. Man, that's um, you know, Pickwick. You know, it's one of the the most. I, I want to say 
you know, it's got more snags, you know, than anywhere else I've seen. I I really had a tough time fishing it. Um, you know, it, I, you know, trying to suspend fish and everything, it, it was just, it just seemed like I stayed broke off more than anything else. Is that, uh, is that how y'all fish Pickwick? Y'all do a lot of suspend fishing or? Well, we do a lot of suspend fishing and we've also got some drop offs and points deep stuff like goes from 10 to 35. And uh, and we'll we'll do a little bit of bumping off of the ledges on that, but but Pickwick is a strange Pickwick is absolutely full of big catfish, and I, I'll just tell you my opinion on it. It is also the busiest ski boat lake and wave runner and houseboats and stuff, and I really believe that that shuts those big fish down. Now you can catch them in the wintertime. The biggest catfish I've ever had. I didn't get him in. I was by myself. Was above Pickwick Dam about four years ago, and I really believe that he was over 100 pounds. But it was in the winter time when there wasn't any boat traffic, and you know we put 11,200 pounds of big catfish in with just one tournament in 2006 into Pickwick. But if you go up there and try to catch a 30-pound fish, it's a, it's a task. I mean, it'll take you two weeks to catch. It. I don't know what it is, but I know they're in there. It's a tough lake. Yeah, does um, the the river that comes out of there, uh, the one that goes south, which one is that? The uh, you talking about the Tom Bigby Waterway? Yeah, the Tom Bigby Waterway. Yeah. Uh, do y'all ever fish down it? Well, that's where we fished. That's where we won that Cabela's Championship. It was on the waterway at Columbus. Of course, that's several miles down, but. Yeah, is that now, usually? We don't, we don't ever go into the waterway from Pickwick. There's there's not a lot of current in it. There's fish in there, but I, I really believe those big blues tend to stay out in the main rivers. Okay. Although, so. although they we proved that they're down there around those dams on the waterway because you know we we did good down there. We had to we had to balloon them, but but we did good. Yeah, I didn't know, uh, you know, I've never fished a tournament up there, and I see that, you know, that's a big body of water coming down from the, the main channel. Um, I didn't know if, if a lot of anglers go down in, in that part and fish or not. Uh, it's like I didn't know what kind of current goes through there. Or, um, I guess it does the current flow out. Uh, it out, it kind of splits and goes up into Tennessee and down in, in, into uh, Tom Bigby both. Well, no, that Tom Bigby, when you leave Pickwick, uh, it's about 40 miles to the first dam. It's Bay Springs Locking Dam. It doesn't have any floodgates or spillgates on it. Uh, they just lock a barge through every once in a while, and that's the only water that ever gets going downriver towards Columbus. All that water at Bay Springs, and Bay Springs is a beautiful lake, huge, crystal clear, and then, but all that water... It comes back to Pickwick and goes through Pickwick Dam if there's any, uh, you know, overflow or anything or high water. Okay, so so it, so it comes back up north and then uh, comes back out right at the state line right in there. Yes, sir. A big circle. Okay. I was wondering how that worked. So uh, well, what's been the most exciting uh, win that y'all have had this year? Uh, you know, after after fishing and, and trying to win a lot of these events. 
what which one meant the most to y'all out of all of them? It'd be hard to choose between the the world championship and the national championship. We we had two big accomplishments this year, and uh, we finished in the top five in in probably four, three or four tournaments this year. But out of those two, those are probably the our most favorite. Yeah. I I really like. Uh, I mean, to me, I I love the Mississippi River. We've won a tournament over there before, <clears throat> but <clears throat> I'd have to favor that national championship last weekend a little bit. So I just love that Mississippi River. It took me six years to figure out how to catch a fish over there. And, to, you know, all the competition that was there and great fishermen, you know, to win that, that was a little bit bigger deal to me, but I really, I'm really proud of that. Yeah, I figured, you know, the the more times you go to these events and um, put so much in them when, when, you know, there's a few of them, when you finally hit that mark to where you win it, you know, it's got to mean more that year than the rest of them just by the, you know, how much has been put into it prior and, you know, how much effort you've put into, you know, getting to the top on that lake. Um, yeah. So it just feels like that, you know, you when you was out there, you was competing more against the Mississippi River than everybody else at that time, and all you had to do was beat the Mississippi River, and you would win the event. Yeah, that that, that river, it's it's just I know you know it, Chuck. It's just a different place, and you know, last year we had the Bass Pro Shop Championship. We we were unfamiliar with that water. I did go up there and pre-fish one weekend and uh, we didn't know anything but I found a spot up there I mean it was well I actually didn't find that till the day before the championship right. but I told Brooke I said I don't know if we'll catch a fish here but there ain't no better place on the Mississippi River than right here well the wind was terrible the first day 25 mile an hour we didn't even go to that spot we went down around some granaries and stuff and felt like we could catch five fish well, we didn't. We caught two fish that weighed 35 pounds. And I told her, I said, tomorrow we're going to that spot, and it's going to be rough, but we're going there. We had five that weighed 167 pounds, and I lost one at the boat that was, we didn't see it, but I know it was 50 plus. And I lost another. At, at, what we did, we was, the current was so swift, Brooke was running a big motor, and I was fishing. That's you know we couldn't the trolling motor wouldn't do nothing. And uh, I hooked that fish, and uh, and that big current, I told her, I said just knock it in neutral and let's float back to him. Well, that was a big mistake because I should have held him and talked on him till I got him up off the bottom. And, and when she knocked it out of gear, and I just going back to him, keeping my line tied on him, he got under something, and it was another fifty pounder. And of course, up there you can keep. But that was last year, and I told her, I said, you know, the chance to win one of these national championships, best I can tell, comes around every five to seven years. You got to be in the right place, you got to be on the right fish, and that just don't happen much. So I really thought our chances of winning something like this, you know, was was going to have to wait a while because we had it last year. But thank goodness we we pulled it off this year. But. Yeah, y'all, y'all have uh, 
how many tournaments did you say y'all fished this year uh, so far? The year's not over with yet. I believe we fished 16 so far. 16. Oh, man, yeah. that's – I wish I could do that. That's sweet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I'm always seeing, you know, top you know, top three finishes, top five finishes. So, um, I mean, y'all have really been on top of the leaderboard a lot this year. Um, so y'all, y'all really, you know, been doing really outstanding. The, um, I want to go back to the, the monster of the Ohio again. What, how many days did y'all pre-fish when y'all went up to that event? Two. Yeah. Two days. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how hard was it to decide, um, you know, do I want to go up river or down river? I mean, that's that seems to be my big every year the hardest decision. You know, if I can finally you know decide which one I want to do, I'm good. But making that making that first decision is very hard for me. Yeah, we had intentions when we went up there to spend one day down river and one day up river where we we had been down around Henderson before. Oh, we had never been up. Above, uh, what is that up or down up there? Candleton? Candleton. Okay, we'd never been up above it. So we decided we went down to Henderson to put in the first day, and we found that's when we found all those, I mean, the biggest water fish I have ever seen on the spot. And we never did make it up river. So I, I still want to go up, up river one day and look, but. Last year we decided we wasn't going to stay on the Owensboro Pool because uh, there's a lot of good places on that Owensboro Pool, but I, I felt like that they got kind of fished a lot during practice, and you know I kind of felt like it might be a lot of pressure on that lake, so we decided to go to another spot, kind of get away from everybody. But it, I mean, it didn't pay off, but one day it will. Yeah, so you know we was talking about the. Uh the, the classics and the championships and all that. Um, these individual events, like the one that George Young Jr. is putting on next September, uh, the one Aaron Wheatley has been doing for quite a few years now, the Monster of the Ohio, uh, what would ending up uh, winning one of them events mean to you, um, you know, after putting all this uh, energy into learning these rivers and trying to win them over this period of time? Well, that would be that would be that would be the biggest thing, yeah. I mean, you know, Aaron, it's, it's, I don't know how he does. He does a fantastic job. I don't know how he does it with all those boats, and they launch all those boats in like an hour and a half. Seems like. Uh, I mean, he's got it going on, and that you know, with that many boats, you know, you got you got the best fishermen in the world up there, and uh, you have to win that or. I can only imagine what George and him is going to have. You know, of course, that, I'm going to like that tournament better because I know how to fish over there. So, uh, you know, if you get in the top 10 or 20 over there, you're going to be, you've done a good thing, I believe. Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. A top 20 would be like the greatest thing in the world for me if I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, we got a question from Chris Parker. He wants to know, uh, what's, what's the key to being consistent? Ah, uh, you got any ideas? <laughs> we just keep hard at it and keep looking. We look for the same stuff 
every tournament. Well, we like structure. Mm -hmm. We like to find structure. I mean, I'm a really a structure guy. And then once we find, you know, several spots of structure, and we'll scan them and see how many fish each one's got in. And uh, we we cover a lot of the lake, Chuck. We we do. I I burn some gas. Uh, I'm liable to cover 50 miles of one lake, you know, either direction, just looking where to fish that tournament. We don't care to travel a little bit, just like we did at Memphis. We got to fish about four hours each day. But, you know, if you're on some good fish, you don't need to. We, we actually started out fishing for five bites a day. We didn't want to catch a lot of fish. We didn't feel like we needed to. We, we wanted the five right bites every day. And I think the first day we probably only caught eight fish mm -hmm. if we caught that at Memphis. Uh, and the second day, maybe eight more, maybe. Probably around there, yeah. But she, Like I said, she can lay there. She knows, she can see them down there on the sonar. And if she knows they're down there, they don't have to bite every five minutes. She can wait on them. <laughs> so I believe, that's, I believe that's helped us. You know, we, I don't know if we just stay on top of those fish until one of them eventually gets tired of looking at it and bites it. But, uh, we try to make them mad with a bait, <laughs> hit them with right. a bait. Well, you know, we've had guys come on, you know, and they, they're the type of guys that they go and find, you know, 10 or 12 pieces of structure and, you know, hit each one of them for 20 minutes. Uh, if nothing hits in 20 minutes, they move on because they believe if a big fish is down there, that's going to hit, you know, uh, before 20 minutes is up, so y'all y'all think y'all have a difference um, of opinion on that. Y'all going to sit on the fish and wait until they're ready to feed? Well, if we, I don't know if you know David Coughlin or not, but he's a he's a great fisherman on the Mississippi River, and it's been five or six years ago at least. He told he told a couple of us that were standing around talking to him. He said. One thing you better do is trust your electronics. If you see them down there, they're down there. If you don't see them, you might as well be fishing in a barrel. And and I really based my fishing on that. Uh, and I've tried it. I, I've, I've went to places where I have caught fish before, lots of them, and they're not showing up, and I'll still fish, and you won't get a bite. Uh, you know, we use that. We use what he... I, I believe in my electronics. I, I, I know if you see the fish... That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a bite, but, but if you see them and you know they're down there, we're willing to give them time to decide to bite if they want to, you know. We may not get them, but, but we're what, not, you know. What, what kind of time do you say you like sitting on a spot um, waiting on them to bite? Uh, how, how much time do you give them before you finally well, say, let's go? After a couple hours, if we hadn't, we hadn't had anything, and we're we're about ready to give up. Um, not over two hours, but if we could just get one or two bites in that two hours, of course you don't want those little pecks. If they're just those little pecks, you're not they're small fish. But you know, if we can get any kind of a reasonable acting bite, then we'll give them a little bit longer. But if we haven't done nothing in a couple of hours. You know, we're ready to we're ready to move. Okay, yeah, so we, we give them two hours at least. Okay, if all your poles are sitting there jumping uh, with little bites, do y'all sit there and wait it out and keep rebaiting, or do you say we're getting out of this hole and find another one? Uh, we usually leave a hole like that. 
Okay. Because usually those, I, I really believe that those uh, like 15 or 20 pound fish, I really believe those things run together. And I believe if you're in the four or five pounders, I believe they run together. And, uh, and even down there at Henderson at that Monsters, I knew we were on a bunch of small fish, but I did see some what I thought was 15, maybe a 20 every now and then. And I, I was just hoping that they were mixed in together. I don't think they were now, but I was hoping they were. But, uh, now, if, he, if you're getting all those little bitty pecks, I really believe you're in a bunch of small fish. You not not move but 100 yards and get out of them. But, yeah, we don't we don't like that. We don't like a bunch of little pecks. That's never panned out for us. Okay, yeah. Uh, like, when y'all were at, you know, you said you was fishing down at Henderson and all. Um, when you when you get on those spots like that and you think you see the you know the, the 15 20 pounders down there with them um, you know it's so hard to find a spot anyway when you got 182 boats and even if you you know make a long run uh, you're still going to see a pretty good bit of boats around you so you know if you if you find a really good spot that you're confident with and and you think you've got to some structure before somebody else did that that's part that's a pretty good bonus anyway to be able to have a chance to fish some good structure um you know before somebody else got to it anyway it is yeah because i think, I, we were, I think that spot we were on was was i really believe was kind of a community hole i believe people know about it was it was merged down, is what it was, but but the fish were piled in there, and uh, you know we had plenty of bait, so we thought we'd just feed a bunch of them, and hopefully a big one would come in. That's what we were hoping for. Okay. But yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, I'm gonna uh, been been nice picking y'all's brains. I'm gonna uh, pass you off to Lyle and see what he's got for y'all. Okay. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you. Well, you guys have been tearing it up, so I want to know, Brooke, what, what is your bait of choice when you guys go to all these tournaments? 100% skipjack. <laughs> 100%. We can't tell you what the rest of it is. <laughs> uh, Tim Lang wants to know if you're using a three-way rig or a sliding rig. Three-way. Three-way rigs. Three-way rigs. That's pretty, pretty popular down your way. Now, I, I mean, let me let me say something. Tell you what she will do. <laughs> if, you, if she'll go Don't to catch and fish, she did at Memphis. We, we went all the way to Memphis from Tunica, and uh, she put about 60 pounds in the boat, and I hadn't had a nibble. And uh, we're only fishing, you know, 15 feet apart. <laughs> I said, you know, I noticed when she bait up, she had her back to me where I couldn't see. <laughs> and uh, she, she was just slapping them in the boat. And I said, what are you doing back there? And uh, well, I, I watched her get ready to bait up, and I went back there and saw what kind of bait she was cutting now. It was skipjack. It was skipjack, but the way you cut that skipjack, I never would have believed it, but it makes a difference. Sometimes they like this, and sometimes they like, sometimes they like a fillet. A fillet, usually when you get a bite on a fillet, if you don't catch a fish, your bait's gone. But, you know, I like the head because you can put one hook through his mouth and they got to really get mean to tear that off of there. But now she'll, she'll sneak around on you even in a tournament and, and she'll experiment back there. And when she finds something, she wants to win that tournament by herself. You know? 
I do try a lot of different baits. It, we only use skipjack, but just the way you cut it, you know, I'll give it an hour. If we don't catch anything, I'll I'll put a different <laughs> skipjack on there, cut it a different way, and find what they're biting that day. You it know, makes a difference. Jason Mathena is a very good friend of mine. I know you guys have met him, and mm -hmm. and he has told me uh, numerous times that bait presentation is probably one of the most overlooked aspects of catfishing there is. I agree. Yeah, I do too. And, and it's not just, uh, some of it's the way you cut the bait, and some of it's the way you rig the bait, and some of it uh, on one day of work and the very next day, or even a few hours later, you might have to change it and redo it. And, uh, you know, Jason is very, very uh, sure of that, and so am I. It, it makes a lot of difference. And one day they'll want heads, the next day they'll want chunks, the next day they want uh, uh, flays and and uh, you know I've never seen a day when they wanted tails, but I guess that's possible that there would be that day. <laughs> yeah. And we've yeah. also had days where we we'll put a, a good size skipjack on there, and they'll eat everything but the head, and they won't once the head is left, they won't touch it. Right. Yeah. Yep, I've seen that too, but I haven't seen it this year. But I have seen that, and and. Uh, uh, I've also had them just strip the meat off of a fillet and leave the skin there in there, and I'm not sure how that happens, but I know that it does happen. Yeah, it amazes me how they can uh, they can bite. You know, we use we use two hooks. Well, I guess they're about seven inches apart, and uh, and they can eat that bait, plumb up, and not get hooked. I don't know how they do it, but <laughs> they're they're pretty smart when it comes to feeding. Yes, they really are, and and people don't give them credit for that, and and uh, um, usually the guys that's not giving them credit for it are the ones that's not catching the fish. <laughs> Brooke, I understand that you're uh, you're about to get married. I am Saturday. Saturday, congratulations! I know everybody's very happy for you on that, and Thank you. Um, David and I had talked uh, last week a little bit, and he was telling me about that, and I asked him if he was going to lose his fishing partner, and he didn't seem to think so. Uh, I don't think he will. <laughs> They're all trying to sell all my fishing poles on the Internet. We've had a little controversy over that. Everybody's, everybody's sending her messages that we want first chance at your fishing stuff. <laughs> She'll say, my fishing stuff ain't going nowhere. It's not for well, that's good. That's good. You know, um, we we worked really hard to try to promote uh, children and women in in the sport of catfishing, and uh, it's very refreshing to see a young lady like yourself jump in the boat with David and go out and be as successful as you guys have been. And uh, you know, everybody can't get along in a boat, you know. And I know you guys, especially David, has had partners that that uh, you know they like them and they're great people but they just don't mesh in a boat and to find uh, you two working together and getting along because David's told me you cut the bait you take the fish off the hook you do it all you know he, he, he had told me you're one of the best fishing partners that he ever had and and I know how important that is and a lot of other people uh, the fish with the same person all the time they, they don't understand how uh, if, if you lose somebody uh, that you're used to fishing with all the time and try to find somebody to replace them. It, it, it's not the same, it, and it may never be the same. Mm -hmm. That's true. We, uh, Cindy and I fish together a lot, and uh, 
99% or more of our tournament fishing that we do is together and and it didn't used to be that way and and I fished uh, with with a lot of guys uh, Chris Cordia, JD Richardson, I fished with Keith Atkins, one of my favorite guys in the whole wide world and and, and we all got along and we all had good times but you know her and I know what each other's going to do and I assume you guys are the same way and that just makes it so much easier uh, when you get to a spot you know what one's going to do the other knows what's got to do and and uh, when you're back there sneaking in bait cuts on him I just can't imagine that's got to be too much fun. <laughs> yeah she or she gets a big kick out of that now she wants well, she wants to get about three up on me and then she might tell me what she's using. Might. <laughs> 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 you know, well, I really, when I first started tournament fishing, I, I I thought you had a piece of skipjack down there, or you know, they was going to bat it. But that I I know that's not true. Uh, it's just not. People need to experiment like she does. She she started all that experiment. I've had to take a fillet several tournaments and and slice that fillet half in two and make a strip like a like a pretty good sized minnow. And and that's all they wanted that day. Not right. the whole fillet, not the head, not a chunk. And uh, it really, I never would have thought that, but it really, some days now, and she's the one, she'll find out what they're wanting. The, she won't tell you about it till she's caught through it. She'll find out what they're wanting. Brooke, do you think that if you keep searching around, you'll find either the right cut or the right uh, rig to get fish to bite, even if they're not biting? We've got we've got a pretty good one that that we'll use. Uh, that's you know that's our it's our go-to bait. But yeah, there's one that they like most of the time that we use. Even if they're not biting. No, I'm not gonna tell you what it is. Oh, now listen. <laughs> it's a skipjack. I'll it's take a that. Skip that's <laughs> well, but, that's yeah, awesome. We do have one that if you know we give it. Four, three or four hours, and they're not biting anything. Most of the time, we'll put it down there. You know, uh, Daryl and Jason Massengill was on our show some time back, and they was talking about a, a special cut they had. And and uh, you know, Jeff Dodd, I think he's got a little something that he does that that that's a little different. But you know, I, I'm sure Larry does. Larry was nice enough to share one of his. Uh, his rigs with it, and they they call it the dragon tail. I call it the Larry Muse rig. I mean, who else would share something like that? Why wouldn't you call it? Name it after the man that shared it with you. But yeah. uh, you know, he's uh, Larry's a special guy. But you know, them Massengill boys. Uh, I, you guys were talking about them a while ago, and Chuck said something about them guys catching fish out of a mud hole. Well, they just stomp them out of the mud hole, and then they'll go catch some real fish out of the lake. You know. Yeah. Them boys have got it going on. They're, they're some pretty nice guys, and, of course, Jeff Dodd is too. But in your area, right there in Corinth, Mississippi, you guys got some of the toughest competition there is anywhere in the U.S. We do. Yeah, we do. We sure do. There's been a few articles on the, I forget what they call the Corinth, Corinth, Mississippi something, but we got some phenomenal fishermen from this area. We sure probably do. got about 10 anglers here that, that we fish with regularly. On the top, in the top echelon of catfishing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's amazing that that many, uh, that many of you live in. Uh, how big is Corinth? Uh, it's about twenty thousand, if that, eighteen to twenty thousand. 
And and uh, is that right on the Mississippi? No, we're we're an hour and a half from Memphis. You're an hour and a half from Memphis. Yeah, we're we're three hours. It's only three hours north of my house here to uh, Tennessee, and about fifteen miles uh, to the east is Alabama. So we're right up in the northeast corner. Awesome, awesome. But you know, you was talking with Chuck while ago about fishing the Mississippi River and all the lakes and everything. If you had your rathers, what body of water would each of you fish if you could go anywhere and and, and just say we got we're going to go this weekend just to fish. Where would you go? I would say New Madrid for me. Cause I, I, I want to get a big one, I don't know, to, to beat, you know, a 90-pounder. Even a 100-pounder would make me happy. <laughs> and I think that's where we're going to get it. Well, New Madrid, uh, I, I would also have to pick the Mississippi River. Used to, maybe a few years ago, maybe Wheeler, but you know, that Mississippi River's been there since the beginning of time. And uh, I've heard all those tales about those 180 and 200 pounders. They claim they're documented. Well, Bill Bill said that on y'all show. I believe they're in there. I, I saw a fish about five years ago on my sonar over there south of Memphis. If it was a catfish, it was well over 100 pounds. You know, I've seen a couple of them over there in the past four or five years. I actually tried to fish where he was, but I believe they're in there. Lyle, do you? Oh, absolutely. You know, and I've been all over fishing tournaments as you guys have, and I love them lakes and stuff down south. Uh, and I'm hoping with the regulations that the MDC's got put in on Truman Lake Ozark that we'll have fish like like that in a few years. But there's nothing in the world like the Mississippi River, and 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 one reason that I say that is. It's been a few years ago because we had some pretty bad flooding here in the last uh, three or four years, but there was a year that there was six fish over 100 pounds caught on the Mississippi River below the Alton Dam between there and downtown St. Louis that I'm aware of. Now, there may have been more that I don't know about. I don't know anywhere else you can find that many of them, and the sad part of that story is there was only one of those fish that was released. The rest of them either got thrown in the back of the truck and hauled around to show their buddies, or they cut them up and ate them, which I cannot imagine eating anything like that. But you know what I mean. Uh, but anyhow, uh, one fish got turned loose, and, and uh, uh, Jason Jackson and and uh, uh, Ryan Casey caught a hundred and five or a hundred and six in a tournament down here several years ago. And uh, they took really good care of it all day long. And at the end of the tournament, you know, they could have called Bass Pro or one of them places. And they took it back out in the middle of the river where nobody was around and released that baby. So hopefully that one is still going. But there's a lot of big fish in here. And uh, every year people are getting spooled and 80 and 100-pound braid getting broke and leaders getting broke and hooks getting broke. So, you know, and it's not just here. It's all over. But... Um, the from the St. Louis area up, I believe, uh, is, is commercial fished, and it's it's devastated that that part of the Mississippi River. But from St. Louis down, uh, you know, it's um, there's some great fishing in there. Yeah, you know, we Brooke and I, we we just can't hardly stand hurting one of those big fish. And uh, thank goodness those circle hooks. Most of the time, I've got them in the corner of the mouth. And it, and it really doesn't hurt anything, but 
uh, I want to talk about those those boger grips. So I've got a set of those boger grips, and I used to use them all the time. But but we've got <laughs> we got one of those slings now. You know, if you put that boger grip in that fish, which sometimes you have to use that to help hold him. But when you're picking that fish up with that boger grip, uh, I don't know what it's doing, but it's got to hurt that fish. You know, if you've got a 70 pounder hanging him by the bottom lip. I really, I really hope everybody gets to using those slings, and uh, you know we got a set of luggage scales. Larry, Larry had an extra set he gave me. It weigh up to like 115 pounds, and you just weigh the sling and everything. And uh, I agree, we we don't want to hurt a big fish at all, and we we keep them in good shape in the boat. Thank goodness we've never had one die. It's really important, I think, to take care of them. I really. Do. Uh, I agree, and, and uh, uh, is, to the best of my knowledge, your sponsor, Dave Ashby, probably has got the best waste sling on the market and probably by uh, by by quite a bit the best price on them. Uh, but those waste slings, I would, would like to see uh, a lot of the tournament directors um, make their way into that. I think it will prevent so many fish being dropped at tournament weigh-ins. Uh, makes them easier to handle. Now, you know, everybody likes to see guys and gals grab them fish and hold them up and put them over their shoulder and hang them by their arm, uh, and, and that's great, you know. But uh, I've been to tournaments where guys would stand in their boat and they'd have a 40 or 50, 60-pound fish, and it'd get to bouncing around, and they can't hold on to it. And the next thing you know, they dropped it out of the boat, and there's no doubt in my mind that fish never survived that. Yeah. You know, when, when you're, you're talking about three or four feet uh from the bottom of the boat on a trailer, and then the guy holds it up. You don't have to be very big. You're you're looking at a five or six pound uh, foot drop, and a lot of those fish, they're just, yeah. And, and I'm like you with the Bogo grips. I have a pair. I use them, but they're mainly to hold the fish and control the fish. You need your other arm, other hand, uh, under it, under its stomach, or or sit down if you're going to do pictures. Like Cindy can't hold those fish and. And she sits down. She puts it in her lap, but she's got those grips to hold on to the to the to keep it from you know getting away from her. And uh, it's bad enough if you drop one of those in the boat or if you're standing on the ground. But when you drop one from five or six foot, there's I, I just don't see any way those fish could ever survive. They may swim away, but I, I just can't imagine them surviving a drop like that. Yeah. Hey, Lyle, you remember us talking about that Johnny Summers fish that was caught on the Mississippi? You remember that? Did I do. Ever, did y'all ever see that fish? I don't believe so. Uh, that's a picture of it on my phone. Um, that's a that's a, a Mercury motor right there. That's Johnny Summers. I think that was 06, 07. He called it, got it to a sandbar to where his wife could come take a picture of it. So he's in like, you know, a few feet of water right here. Um, and, you know, they were saying that that fish may have weighed. Um, there's a, here's a picture of it laying on its side. Uh, I don't know if y'all can see it, but that that's on a sandbar. Um, but that's a big fish. The, the guys that took the girth measurement and the length, I can't remember exactly what Johnny told me it was, but the guys who do the uh, you know the the chart where you do the girth and length, they said that fish was probably 160, 165. Yeah, and boy. he took he he put a rope through its mouth because that's the only way he could get a picture. But he released that fish back, and uh, so you know, Chuck, that fish is probably 50, 60 years old. 
I mean, that, yeah. Um, yeah, and he caught it right down there around his house. Um, he And he lives in uh, Deason, Mississippi. So that's down there below Tunica, I believe. And, uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, so we need to go further south. There'll yeah. be a new waypoint on Dave Shipman's depth finder next week. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and, you know, th this guy has not, you know, really got enough credit for him releasing this fish uh, unharmed. He could have, he could have killed that fish and and got it weighed. Um, he said he was wor more worried about it getting back swimming than what it weighed. Um, he just wanted his wife to meet him at the road. There was a place where she, she could walk from the road to the sandbar, and he could get his boat close enough to get those pictures. He was fishing by himself, and uh, he could not get – that's as far as he could get the fish over the gunnel was its head. Well, now, I've seen the pictures of that and the, the gentleman you're talking about, and, and uh, you know, he's he's not a spring chicken. The best I remember from the picture, he's he's kind of, he's getting up there a little bit, isn't he? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's a pretty big guy. He, um, he yeah, he's, he's handicapped. I think he's, uh, it's hard for him to get around. I just don't know exactly how handicapped he was, but uh, he also, I mean, he's, He's noted he caught this stripe that uh, also that's Johnny in this picture. That's a 50-pound stripe he caught and had it mounted. I don't know if that's a replica or the real fish, but uh, you know he's a real trophy hunter and a real good sportsman. But he never really got credit for that fish, and they need to come up with some way that if you can get pictures and a girth and a length measurement, uh, and they can get get good enough to. Uh, you know, get these fish's weight just off of that and recognize these guys for these catch and releases they're doing. That would be great because that would be the standing world record right now that nobody's come close to. That's still, if it, if it was just one, if it was 160, it would still be 20 pounds over the new, the, the current world record. So yeah, I, I really admire that guy for turning that fish loose. He, you know, if he, if you knew the right person to call, you could stay with the fish in the water till somebody could bring some uh, big scale down there to weigh it in a sling or something. That would be hard for us not to do if we had one that big because we wouldn't want to hurt that fish either. But right. It would really have been nice if he could have got a, a weight on it, and then he would be the, like you said, he'd be the world champion right now, the big fish. Oh, yeah, he, he he did really good, and you know a lot of people you know said some pretty bad things about him putting the rope through the mouth or whatever. But I don't think it was bad enough to really hurt that fish the way he did it. I would rather see him poke a hole in, in the bottom lip of that fish to to have uh, proof that he actually caught it and then released it. The little hole in that thing's lip is not going to hurt it. That thing will heal back up. That fish will survive and go on, and and most likely it's a big old female, and it's going to spawn for several more years. And and uh, that's one of the things that most people don't understand. It doesn't seem to matter how old they get or how big they get. Them females will still keep spawning and passing them genes along. So well, there's no really reason just to kill them off. Right. You know, and ever, ever since I seen that picture, I've been dying to get on the Mississippi River and. and <laughs> Because that, I mean, that if there's a if there's a uh, you know a 200 pound blue cat in the United States, it's on the Mississippi River. I, agree. I believe that. 
Yeah, I'm like David said a while ago. Uh, that that river's been there since the beginning of the, of North America, basically. And whatever has been in there all that time, there's got to be some that the commercial guys back in the early 1900s didn't harvest all out. Uh, and if not, there's still some of that gene passed around. And and there's reports of of 150 to 250 pound fish that was shipped from our area to the Smithsonian that supposedly up there have been been preserved and and stuff. But I just you know a 250 pound catfish, I just can't imagine that. Well, you got a rod that'll hold that loud. What's that? You yes, got sir. A fishing rod that'll hold that. I do. I do. I promise you, I do. They're guaranteed that for life you won't ever have a problem with one. I don't know anybody else that'll do that. I've got one over here that I built for a guy, and people think it's a snagging rod, but it's really not, and it's got a fairly soft tip on it, but it's rated for a 150-pound braid, and uh, I, I have done everything in the world of that thing to try to break it, and I cannot break it, so I'm pretty sure it'll do it. <laughs> now... I'd like to bump one of them babies up because them 30s, 40s, 50s, when they hit a, a rod and you're back bouncing and try to jerk that thing out of your hand, uh, I just can't imagine what anything a uh, hundred pound would be like when when it hit that rod because they're not going to just lay there. No. no. But you know the current the current that we fish, of course, everybody's got their their speed of current that they like on the Mississippi River. We fish some current that's, that's pretty swift. Sometimes, sometimes we don't, but, you know, you, you're taking uh, 10 or 12 ounces to, and 250 feet of line out, that's pretty swift current, but. Yes, it is. A lot of times I've noticed when those fish bite, you'll, you'll feel it bite, but their boat's going backwards so fast, and I, and I guess the fish may be swimming up current, but sometimes you just get a slack line. And a matter of fact, at, at New Madrid last year, Brooks said, oh, I had a bite back there. And I said, real, real, real fast, you know. Oh, he, he's, he's off. And, boy, she just kept reading. I bet she reeled in 50 feet, and he was still there. Matter of fact, that happened this year, too. It did. Happened to us again this year. Oh, but, you know, love hit it. Of course, I can't imagine if you have one of those big boys going downriver when, when he hits it. But most of our fish, you've got you to crank up and catch up with them because I guess the boat's going back toward them and uh they're, they're coming towards you. They're either coming towards you or the boat's going back fast enough for your line just gets slack. But Now, do you mainly fish from like New Madrid south uh, when you're on the Mississippi River? Oh, uh, I've only been above New Madrid one time, and I was up around Cairo. <coughs> I was with Phil King. I, I, yeah, I've never fished up that way. Just okay. one time around Cairo. My my question is, I've not been that far south, so is the current faster down where you're used to fishing in Mississippi than it is uh, below St. Louis? Never been to St. Louis. Well, I'd love to go up there, but I don't know. If, if you stop your boat on some of these places, just throw it in neutral and let it go down river. We're, we're, the places that we're able to fish, you're usually moving down river about three miles an hour maybe three and a half. Now you can fish four, four and a half mile an hour current, but you're going to have to get a lot bigger lead. It's going to be harder on your trolling motor, but usually about three miles an hour current. If you're just in neutral going down river, that's about as fast a current as you can bump fish, you know, relatively easy. Right. Now, 
when you're bumping, uh, how much do you slow your boat down, David? I like to go one mile an hour or less. One uh, or less. Yeah, the the really the perfect speed's about point five to point eight. And, and sometimes you just can't do that in heavy current and and uh, you know the, these guys um, that fish below the Alton Dam. You know below that Alton Dam is is pretty swift, but as you get past that a little bit, it slows down, like you say, to uh, two or three, four mile an hour. But uh, the guys that fish on the Missouri River, however, they never see anything that slow ever. Oh, I've heard that. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's just unbelievable. There's no dams from I think like Minnesota or something wherever it starts out up there there's two or three dams up on the very northern part of the Missouri River and it's wide open uh, the rest of the way down through there and the, the current is just tremendous and uh, you know you run batteries down and, and and all kinds of stuff every day and even the you know even the really high dollar batteries and the big trolling motors uh, it, it's tough to get them to last all day it can be done but uh, you have to be selective, but uh, it's a that's a horse of a different color altogether. The Missouri. Oh yeah, a lot. Can you can you fish it? I mean, is it possible with your trolling motors that we use? And uh, can yes. you get the boat slowed down to two mile an hour? Yes. You, what I try to do when I'm on the Missouri, if I I try to get it about half speed, half the current speed. Uh, now sometimes you can you can do more than that. Uh, and other times, you, if you can get it to that, uh, you've done pretty good. But yeah, you can you can slow it down and bump on there. Uh, one of my favorite things to do uh, when we're when we're drifting is is just to drift the outside of the dikes, and you don't want to get into the dikes. But as you come off of the backside of the dikes, you know there's a scour hole behind every one of them, and uh, you know they've all got fish in them. Well, I won't say they all have. A majority of them have fish in them, but you you go to every one every once in a while, and and you'll look at that dike and you'll think, man, this is the perfect spot, and there will be a fish nowhere except Asian carp. You know, it's, they just all they all don't hold fish, just like a lot all structure don't hold fish, and and uh, I look at wing dikes as a, a big piece of structure on the on the Missouri River, especially because there it's full of them. They they just got them every place, and. Uh, yeah. Uh, certain times of year, they work really well. Yeah. Well, we we actually fished just a couple of weekends ago at Memphis. We actually fished some current where we were we were going down river at one point five to two two mile an hour. It's harder fishing by for sure, but but I mean you can do it. You know? Right. Yeah, I had some guys tell me that was down there that the that they started out bumping with eight ounces of lead. And, down here last weekend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they adjusted yeah. from that. That was their starting point, and uh, you know, to me, that's that's quite a bit to bounce with. Uh, you know, uh, we fish uh, Illinois River once in a while. They have some of the greatest channel cat tournaments over there that you ever imagine. They got some, they got some blues and some flatheads too. But uh, a lot of times we're over there with we're back bouncing one ounce of weight and a piece of bait. You know, and uh, it's a whole lot different on on that river than it is, say, the Missouri, or the Mississippi, or uh, you know, I, I'm not sure, but I don't think that they bump much out on the James or the Potomac. I'm not aware of anybody talking about doing that, but uh, it seems to me like that's a lost opportunity. Well, they they are doing a little bit. It's starting out there. We went out there once this year, and uh, I tell you what, there's some current in that thing when it's uh, 
it's the tide. I, I'm, I'm not real familiar with that river at all, but uh, I me either. Tide, I, I like that. <laughs> I believe the tide goes out in the morning. Mm -hmm. I, I guess it changes, but that morning we were there, I believe the water was going out, and that's when everybody caught their fish. Well, when we, Brooke and I had, had kind of found a few places and some fish. By the by, then the tide was coming in, and of course they say they don't bite very well then, but. But you could bump. I mean, you needed like four or five ounces to bump. Wow! But it was—you could bump out there. It was some good current. I, I can't. I try to picture in my mind how figuring out that tidal current would be, and it's—you know—to them guys, it's—it's it's just standard procedure. But for me to have to figure yeah. that out would take me some time. I'm afraid. Yeah. It, I know. It, it, we never caught a fish, but yeah, I believe we could go out there and catch some now. Yeah, if you made a trip, I'd say so, yeah. Uh, I know Ray Stitcher's told me, he said, once you get it figured out, it's not that hard. And I'm thinking, yeah, but how long is it going to take me to get it figured out? <laughs> you know, it's a shame what they're, they're I, I haven't seen it, but the reports that I hear of what they're doing to those fish up there. I know, James. It's all. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm not I'm not very smart when it comes to the biologist type of stuff, and I, but I, I don't know how much of a predator those fish are. I mean, they may be somewhat of a predator. I don't know. But I, I really hate to hear what I've been hearing that's going on up there. I mean, they're just, there's like a bounty on them, you know. Yeah, it's sad. Very sad. It sure is. And, and, and you know, um, it, they need to consider the amount of revenue they're going to be losing out on when people stop coming from from your neck of the woods into Missouri and down around Chuck and wherever it is. Uh, people stop coming from these areas and spending their money to vacation to go catch those those fish uh, simply because they're trying to do away with them and then they'll go to places like Memphis and and. Uh, uh, Owensboro, Kentucky, and St. Louis, and they'll go after them fish there and, and not travel out there, and they won't get the tax revenue off of there because that's a, that's the reason. You know, if I go out there, that's what I'm going for. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I would probably look at some other stuff while I was there, but if I make a trip to the East Coast, I'm going to the Potomac River, and I'm going to go to the James River, and, and we're going to catch some blue cat. Now, that's just the way it is, and uh, if those are not there, I would probably spend my vacation money someplace where I knew I could probably get in some good fish. Yeah. I wonder if those fish were introduced up there, or if that just, or they were just naturally there in the James and the Potomac, or. I understand that. I understand they was introduced there, but it's been so long ago now. They they cannot classify anything that they put in that's been there for twenty or thirty years. They can't classify that as an invasive species. They brought it into that water, uh, so you know there was to control something or other that they had, and and now. Uh, they need to think of it a, a, as a as a natural natural fish because it's just been in there so long. You can't you can't tell people that 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 those fish are are invasive after all these years. You just can't do that. Yeah. You know, we uh, in 2010, I was fortunate enough to go with Phil and Tim to Spain, and we was fishing. For I remember. Those, we fished for those big whales, cats. Well. That Ebro River, I, I don't know how big it is, but it's big. It, it went from the Mediterranean Sea, looked like it went a thousand miles. And uh, this guy from Germany brought 15, he said they were like fingernails, like six inch catfish. He snuck them over into Spain and put them in that Ebro River. 
and he went back, I believe it was five years later, and caught a, like an 80-pounder, and then he went back seven years later and caught a 150-pounder. And they, the story while we were there is they, they cleaned the river out. They ate everything in it. I don't know if that's so or not, but they finally got a, a certain type of species of carp that could could grow and reproduce faster than those whales catfish could eat them. But we're not talking about whales catfish up here at the Potomac. That's right. We're talking about blues. <laughs> we're talking about blues. And uh, I, I can see those whales. I mean, they're eating machines, but but so are the stripers. I hear the stripers that's, eat their way every day. That's right. Those stripers, uh, you know, and, and they'll eat everything in, in the water column top to bottom, and they don't call nothing. They just, if it's in there they're, and they get it in their mouth, they're going to eat it. Uh, so... Uh, and my understanding is those were not uh, native to them waters either. That's but yet they're not. Yeah, they're not. They're not saying anything about that. Uh, but you know, catfishing is growing. If it keeps growing before the thank you before it gets to the to that point, uh, maybe they'll stop and reevaluate and, and figure out what they've got. I have, you know, I, I fight with the. I don't really fight with them, but I have mixed feelings with what the what my conservation department. Does and not getting things done fast enough with all the other states making decisions. So hopefully those guys will reconsider what they're doing and and understand the amount of money they'll lose in tax revenue and and how important that catfish is to those waters. And maybe they'll get yeah. things straightened out. Yeah. Well, Chuck, what else? You, what else have you got for David and Brooke? Up, oh, you're muted, <laughs> Chuck. That's about it for uh, David and Brooke. I have this. Uh, the bay cat, uh, the bay catfish advocate guys, um, they're coming out with a new uh, team. They're calling it the Eastern Catfish Advocate Team. What happened uh, when they went to Virginia? The, um, you know, the the conservation department guy says, "Look, we know you guys love these catfish and everything, but he says you know as good as us that." you don't have the numbers you gotta have a number of people and they said yeah we know that and he says we'll get numbers okay so uh, so what Brad Herstetter and the other guys are doing they're coming out with Eastern Catfish Advocate Team or ECAT is being proposed as a way of bringing the growing number of concerned catfish anglers and groups who recreationally fish for catfish in the 26 states east of the Mississippi River together as a formal unified organization. The proposed ECAP mission statement is simple, to smartly support or pursue measures designed to protect and preserve catfishes in the 26 states east of the Mississippi with emphasis on those fisheries that consistently yield large to trophy class catfish. ECAT will achieve its mission statement by doing things that the majority of conservation-minded catfish anglers already actively support to include regularly sharing information of interest with its supporters, building strong relationships with government entities involved in managing our cat fisheries or establishing policies that could impact our cat fisheries, supporting measures that credible evidence clearly shows will improve our cat fisheries or at a minimum not harm our cat fisheries in any way. Advocating increased regulation of those pay lake owners and suppliers who, whose commitment to the health of our public cat fisheries is questionable. 
Um, we all know that there are strength in numbers at the same time, though, establishing an organization of this magnitude and then making sure it stays true is to its intended purpose is a magnificent undertaking. Um, he, he's wanting to know how many people would support this CCAT and um, no others that would. So what he's going to be doing, he's going to be using Catfish Weekly as a tool to try to get this out there. We're going to be giving everybody the links and information to where you're going to be able to go to this link and uh, join up with these guys and do what you can uh, for your, your section of the United States. <clears throat> so there's just going to be one big group. And if they need to make a movement on a certain state that uh, there's any concerns, uh, they're going to be able to do it in a larger number than just uh, handfuls of people from each state. That's great. And that's something that we have tried to get done two or three different times with two or three different people. And maybe, maybe he can get this going, and, and I hope that it all works out because uh, that is very true. These uh, organizations of any kind, uh, only understand uh, uh, numbers and, and big numbers, and the bigger they are, the better they understand it. Yep, and so the, they're fixing to go wide open with this. The Bay Av the, the Bay Catfish Advocate Group, um, you know, they, you know, there was just mostly the Potomac River guys and, you know, a few other guys, and, you know, they just didn't have the numbers. You know, they'd show up and they say, okay, guys, you know, if you're going to do something, you know, we're behind y'all, so let's get some strength in numbers and come back and show us what y'all got. Let's show, see, let's show everybody how much everybody cares. That's that's outstanding, Brad. If you need some help with uh, with uh, advertising and stuff uh, on, on our Catfish Weekly site, be sure and give me a shout. We'll try to figure out some way to, to make this happen for you. All right. If that's all you got, Chuck, um, Dave and Brooke, we're at the end of every show, whenever we have guests on, and believe me, we appreciate you guys' time and being on the show with us tonight. We give everybody a chance to thank sponsors or people that help them out along the way or anything like that that you would like to talk about. You have all the time in the world you, uh, to do that and, and go ahead and, and uh, get after it. Go ahead. Uh, we want to thank uh, David Ashby with Bottom Dwellers. and. Uh, <laughs> Rob Klobbelder with uh, Whiskerware. Who else we got? Well, T.J. Stallings. I don't know if you know him. He's with TTI Blakemore. He's helped us out a lot. And, uh, of course, David's done. Every time we call David Ashby, he just bends over backwards to get us whatever we need just as fast as we can get it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Driftmasters. I don't know how those guys do what they do. I'm, I'm proud they do because they've helped us, but we really thank those guys a lot. And uh, I'm sure we're forgetting somebody, but <laughs> we, we thank y'all for what y'all are doing, Chuck and Lyle. And uh, we're really proud that y'all asked us to be on the show. That meant a lot to us. And that's about all I got, I guess. <laughs> I that's about it. <laughs> Well, you know, you guys have had an outstanding year, and, and, and to top it off with the, the national championship, it just made it uh, icing on the cake for you, and we're so happy that you would spend your time and be on the show. I would like to mention that uh, tomorrow evening on the Whiskerware Apparel Facebook page, you will be able to see a story behind how Brooke got started in fishing. Uh, 
at a very young age. It's a great story, so if you get a chance, go over there and, and take a look at that. Rob had sent me a message about that, and then thank you, Rob, for that. Um, you know, you guys have some great sponsors. Dave Ashby is a super guy, and, and uh, you know, Driftmasters is, is Driftmasters. It is hard to beat them guys. And uh, we Again, we thank you for being on the show. The, there's one thing that, that I would like to mention before we sign off for the evening. Uh, my wife, Cindy, had a, uh, uh, some knee surgery the other day, and we got just an overwhelming response from people sending messages and all kinds of stuff and visiting with us, even all, even in private messages on the show tonight. And thank you guys for that. She's doing very well. Uh, it's pretty sore. It's going to be a struggle for a, for a few weeks, but uh, but she'll do fine. And, and thanks again for all that. Uh, unless anybody else has anything, I think that'll do it for this evening. Thanks, everybody, for watching, and we will see you next Monday night at 7 Central.